0: Good morning, New Spring Church. Everybody doing well today on all of our campuses, wherever you are? Clap your hands if you are. Yeah. Well, uh, and listen, we're just going to stay in the clapping deal. I got to do a couple of celebration moments right here at the top, but I want to look in the camera. I want to welcome you. If you're at one of our 14 get, gathered locations, it feels so good to be here. It's so good to have you here. Thanks for making it out today. Uh, and you know, hey, if you're not quite ready to make it to a, a location with other people, we will be ready for you when you're ready to come and see us. So we're doing all that we can to make sure that the facilities are in, in good shape and they're nice and clean. And man, it is special, is it not? Those of you in a room, it's special when you get to lift your voice and feel the music and worship with your brothers and sisters beside you. And we can't wait to do that again for those of you that'll be joining us in the future. Uh, I want to let you know uh, to be praying about, we are preparing and praying about getting ready for our student ministry and our kids spring ministry. You just got to hear from Sherry uh, in the days ahead to reopen. And so be in prayer for us there. We can't wait to share that information with you in in the weeks to come and uh, excited about that. But listen, I got to start with a moment of just quick celebration. It's around this number. So uh, if you know what this number represents, you can shout early. If you don't, I'll tell you in just a moment. It's this number right here, 118. That number was the amount of souls last week that responded for the very first time, asking Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior, being born again, moving from death to life, stepping into a life-giving relationship with the Lord. And we just, again, there's been a lot of things happen in 2020 I grew up in a church where we didn't see 118 people get saved in a year or a decade. We got to see that happen last week right here at New Spring Church. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand. That's awesome. In addition to that, now listen, we know this, these are just the people that texted in. We don't know how many folks, we can just assume that there's more out there I just happened to be on stage at the Clemson campus last week and watched as seven people at the 1115 service raised their hand and responded to this invitation. And so we're pumped about these folks that have stepped over from death to life. And I just wanna look in the camera and say this, if you have made a decision to follow Jesus, and maybe you're one of these 118, or maybe maybe you've you've done that over the last couple of months, we wanna be with you and celebrate with you your next step, which is going forward in baptism. And we are a church that loves to celebrate baptism. So invite your friends, invite your family, invite your coworkers or classmates, and we will get with you even in these COVID days in the waters of baptism and celebrate what God has done inside of you as you go public on the outside. If you want more information about that, you can do that at a guest services location or on our website. We can't wait to celebrate these 118 plus many more as they step out and get baptized in the weeks ahead. Come on, let's give the Lord one more hand, all right? All right. Now, uh, you just got to hear it from Sherry here in Anderson or watching online, but I want to make sure everybody knows what our vision statement is, so we say it every single week. New Spring Church, the place you are right now, we're a life-giving church. We're marked by the presence of God, and we are about being activated so that we can impact others. We don't want to be a bunch of church people that go and sit under the preaching of the Word, but then you don't feel it in your community. We wanna be activated to impact others, and this series, if you're joining us because you've jumped into college or you relocated or maybe you're coming in because your church that you usually go to isn't open yet and you're leaning into this, this series has really been about this phrase right here in the middle of our vision statement. We're a life-giving church, yes, but what does it look like to be a church marked by the presence of God? And again, maybe you've heard phrases like that or or Christianese language like that, but what what does that actually mean? And so, this series has been about answering that question. And so, today I'm gonna really try to get around three questions. If you wanna take notes, if you wanna open up the app, these notes will already be there for you. You can keep up with them there on the New Spring app. But here's the three questions I'm trying to answer today What does it mean to be marked by the presence of God? Like, what does that even mean? I hear you, dude. What does it mean? Here's a better one Why should I even care? I hope you're asking that kind of question from a, a preacher. I hope you should ask the question in your own heart. It's a good thing to come and come to the Lord and say, why, why does this matter? Why should I even care? Pastor, why do I even care about this? I'm gonna do my best to answer that. This series is about answering that question. But specifically today, I'm gonna really get around this one. How does a life marked by God's presence look? Like when I, I look at the lives around me or I, I look at my life, I want to, Be a person that is marked by the presence of God. What should that look like? By the end of the service today, I'm gonna give you a biblical picture of what a life marked by the presence of God looks like, and I believe that this kind of life marked by the presence of God makes a difference in every city that we're in, in every community that we're in, in every school that a, a New Spring student attends, somebody who has the Spirit of God in them that's marked by God's presence. Every single one of you is gonna make a difference all week long if you catch this picture. Now, before I do that, I wanna set it up by sharing three principles that we've talked about a lot already, but the principle number one, if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. Principle number one, you need to understand this, is that God's presence is the intended dwelling place for humanity, God's presence is the intended dwelling place. Uh, one of the mega themes in the Bible, maybe you're new to the Bible, maybe you, maybe you used to read the Bible, maybe you hadn't read it in a long time, but if you read it from beginning to end, one of the mega, mega themes that'll lift out of the scripture is that God wants to live in the space that his people are in. God's presence is the intended dwelling place of his people. So if you open up your Bible in the very beginning in the book of Genesis, you'll find Adam and Eve in the presence of God in the Garden of Eden. And they're there they're having a perfect relationship with God the Father, having a perfect relationship with each other, and they're having a perfect relationship with creation. They are in a perfect space of presence. It doesn't stay that way for long, but by the end of the Bible, you get to the very end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, you see that God has done the great work of redemption, redemptive history, to bring people back into his presence again. It starts in the garden in in Eden. It finishes in a garden city in Revelation, and one of the mega themes, the meta-narrative of Scripture that's going to help you understand the Scriptures is that your intended dwelling place is with the presence of God. Now I need an amen from behind those masks. This is a principle that you need to know. So that means practically for you, sir, your very best version of you is in the presence of God. Ma'am, the very best version of you is in the presence of God. The very best version of your marriage the very best version of your family, the very best version of us is in the presence of God. And so we answered that question in week one. Pastor Dan talked a lot about the difference between omnipresence and manifest presence. You can go back and listen to it. And then last week, Pastor Clayton talked about how we reenter into the presence of God because... You're probably out there wondering, hey man, I hear you, but our world doesn't look like God's presence is everywhere. How do you explain what's going on in, you know, with these fires? Or how do you explain what's going on with political turmoil? How do you explain what's going on in terms of injustice and, and the things that I see on my Twitter timeline? Well, that, I'm glad you asked. The way we re-enter now in our broken reality, because sin is in the world, we have a presence problem. You should write that down. Because sin is in the world, we have a presence problem and so we are separated, just like Adam and Eve were separated from the presence of God when they invited sin into their lives. We were born into this reality of a broken presence problem and you and I, though God is everywhere, we are not operating in a presence of God relationship because of sin, And the way we re-enter into the presence of God is what being saved or reborn or uh, having a covenant relationship with God, what the 118 people stepped into last week, it's what it's all about. It's where our presence starts over. And so what I'm trying to do today is understanding all of that, how do we now, if you're a Christian, how do we lean into and how do we cultivate more of God's presence in my life In my family, in my home, in my marriage, in our communities. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Now, if we do this, I've got to tell you that we've got to first talk about body language. Body language. Now, um, I don't know if you've done any research on this, but I have read up a little bit on this. And UCLA, just a few months back, um, did some research on communications and how much of the message of one communicator actually gets across to the intended audience and and measured how that message is communicated. And it's no surprise probably to many of you that the words we use only represent 7% of the communicated message. So this is why you have to repeat what you're saying, mom and dad, over and over and over again to your kiddos, right? How many times do I have to tell you? Well, you're gonna have to tell them a lot more, sir, uh, because they're only hearing 7% of the message with the words we use. Ready? The other 93% are made up of two primary categories. 38% is in tone. So 38% of the message that you and I are trying to communicate is just based on the tone we use. The other 55% of the message we're trying to communicate is in our body language. So this explains why so many people have such a hard time communicating messages on social media. There's no tone. There's no body language, there's just a lot of yelling or capital letters or lowercase letters or maybe an emoji from here and there, Uh, but the bottom line is it's what's created such a vitriol, toxic world out there in the social media. Can I get an amen from somebody? And so many of you, this is a message from the Lord, okay? You need to do a life-giving thing and just get away from social media. It'll bless you. I took 40 days off just a few weeks ago and man, it was like, wow! I'm really loving my relationships now. I'm loving the people that I can disagree with and not be disagreeable while I disagree with them. I'm loving having real conversations and real relationships instead of just yelling at people out there in the social spaces. Seven percent of the messages we communicate are heard through our words. 38% through our tone, 55% through our body language. And I want you to know this, the same is true when it comes to scripture. Our body language is powerful. And in Exodus chapter three, which is where I want you to turn your Bibles if you got them, we're gonna read about the body language that makes a massive difference in the life of Moses. So let me read it, okay? Moses in Exodus chapter three, verses one through six. Here's what it says. It says, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now I gotta stop right here because this is kind of cool. The angel of the Lord. Anytime you see the angel of the Lord, not just an angel, but specifically the angel of the Lord, many times in the Old Testament when you and I see the angel of the Lord, this is known as a Christophany, Christophany. Christ epiphany, a Christophany, i.e., this is known as theologians believe Jesus Christ was here in the Old Testament. Somebody say, wow, wow. So, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire. Now I'm circling flame of fire because we've talked about this throughout the series as well. God's presence throughout the scriptures takes on many different forms, but one of the primary metaphors for the presence of God in scripture is fire. And so in the Old Testament and in the New, many times we see, and Pastor Clayton talked about it a ton last week, that the fire of God warms, it draws, it illuminates, it purifies, all kinds of great things when his presence shows up. And here's one of those accounts. God's presence is there, Jesus is there, and he's talking to him out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed and Moses says to himself, he's talking to himself, he says, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. So body language, he, he turns aside and he's going to see why this bush is burned. Watch this. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside, all that says is God's watching your body language. The Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see it and then God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he says, here I am. Then the Lord says, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. So some more body language. Verse six, and he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Now I want you to write this down because here's the whole entirety of these six verses and I believe it's a principle that we need to recognize if we're gonna walk in the presence of God. Write this down. Principle number two is that posture precedes presence. Yes, that is alliteration, okay? Posture precedes presence, meaning my body language and how I posture myself will go before the presence of God. Exodus 3 is a beautiful example of that, that God is looking for men and women that are postured appropriately. If you wanna go ahead and begin to write some notes down, is that God is looking for humility in the earth. And as we look around the, the earth, one of the things that we don't see a whole lot of is humility, but I wanna just encourage you that humility is beautifully um, um, tailored to fit everyone who would wear it. It is, it is better than a three-piece tailored suit, sir. It's better than a high-end fashion dress, ma'am. Humility fits beautifully on everyone and we need a lot more humility in 2020. Can I get an amen? All right, we need humility. Well, posture precedes the presence of this. Now, watch what happens. Moses does all this posture and God shows up and then it says in verse seven, then the Lord says, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who were back there in Egypt, and I've heard their cry. Time out. I'm gonna get to this in a moment, but Moses in this moment hasn't been to Egypt in a really long time. He used to be there, he used to live there, he used to see the the taskmasters and the beatings of all of God's people there, but he ran away from Egypt, and I'm gonna show it to you in just a moment, and he had been living in the wilderness. He had met um, a man named Jethro who ended up introducing him to his daughter and Moses married Jethro's daughter and, and they lived there and he was a shepherd there. But here's the deal. God's going to tell Moses that I've seen my affliction, the affliction of my people in Egypt and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Here's a practical note. There is no crying in the earth, no sighs, no suffering that our good God in heaven does not see. He sees it all. He sees all the abuse, all the oppression, all the injustice. He sees it all and he cares about it all greatly. And this is a great proof that even when we think he doesn't hear it, he doesn't see it and he won't do anything, he does want to do something. And here's what I've got to tell you. He's going to use humanity. He's going to use Moses to make a difference. And Moses was God's plan A and there was no other plan B. Translation, You and I, Christian, are God's plan A to make a difference in the earth, and there is no other plan B. He wants to change our cities. He wants to change our communities. He wants to change our world, but he's not gonna boom from heaven and do it. He's gonna use people like you and people like me to make a difference, and I know that that's weighty because that's exactly the way that Moses responds when God tells him that he wants to use Moses. Watch this. So he says, I wanna deliver them. And I'm sure Moses is going, good, they need to be delivered. And to bring them up out of that land into a good and broad land, I wanna bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, God says, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. So Moses is probably getting a lot of his inner questions answered. Does God even care? How come God has been silent on this issue why did why is God letting his people suffer like that and i 'm sure he's been thinking about this for years and years and years isn't there a God who is real and god's going i 'm real i haven't missed any of it i've just been setting it up but watch what happens here verse verse nine and then come to ten it says, "Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you, look at this, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. and You can just feel Moses put his foot on the brake. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Egypt? So I just wanna say clearly again, this is in all of us. None of us, like Moses, thinks that we are the right vessel to be used by God. We understand ourselves, we understand all of our insecurities, all of our history, all of our shame, all of our brokenness, but I want you to see that posture precedes presence, and God's affirmation that he was gonna use Moses is seen right here in verse 12. He says this, God simply says, I get it, but I will be with you. And so here it is, point number three, God's presence makes all the difference. God's presence makes all the difference now. Why does this matter? Well, if you go and you do a little bit of research on Moses, this moment that we just read about in Exodus chapter 3, the man Moses before this moment and the man Moses after this moment are two completely different men. The man Moses before he meets God in the burning bush was a man who was born to a uh, Egyptian Israel in Egypt to an Israelite family. And at the time of Moses' birth, you've probably heard or seen Disney um, movies about this, but just to remind us, Moses was born at a time where he was actually underneath a law that any baby born should be thrown into the Nile River. The Egyptians at the time thought that there was too many Israelite slaves, and the only way they can control it was infanticide. So what we need to do is we need to put an edict forward that kills all the babies. And so Moses' mama didn't buy into that edict. She threw Moses into the river, but she built him a basket and laid him in that river and sent him rolling down the Nile River. Moses, God would have it, providentially comes before Pharaoh's daughter who was bathing in the river. She hears the cry of this baby in a basket. She goes and she adopts Moses into her family. And so this Wild, beautiful story of how God allowed a baby to be born in slavery, but be adopted into royal family and was raised and brought up in Egyptian school, understanding the Egyptian way of thinking, understanding Egyptian religion, understanding all of, again, all the privileges of being an Egyptian, but he also was raised knowing that he was not ethnically an Egyptian. He was an Israelite who had been adopted in. So you can just imagine as he's getting of age, he's got this frustration going on in him because he sees what's happening in his Egyptian royalty, but he also sees with his eyes the taskmasters hurting and holding down his brothers and sisters that were slaves at the time. And you can feel his frustration get to a boiling point in Exodus chapter two. You can go and read it yourself. When one day Moses is walking around, he's a part of the royal family, and he sees an Egyptian slave master beating an Israelite slave. And it just finally gets to the tipping point where he cannot take it anymore. And I don't know if you've ever been there to that place where you're watching something happen in culture and you go, I just can't take it anymore. And Moses leaps to action. He grabs the, the, the taskmaster. He rips him off of the slave and he begins to use his own strength and he hits him and he hits him and he hits him and he beats him down and you can just feel he's lost control. And finally, the Egyptian man is dead. And Moses has this coming to his senses moment where he's like, oh my goodness, I've lost control. I couldn't take it anymore. I've seen enough, I've seen enough, I've seen enough. And now he's gotta figure out what he's gonna do with this body and the blood that is on his hands. And the Bible records that Moses takes the body of the soldier, he buries him in the sand and he sneaks away hoping that nobody noticed. And you can just imagine, he's wondering, have I made a difference? Have I finally, have I, Exercise the heart of God. God wouldn't want people to be living in this kind of relationship. Have I have I done a good thing? And then the next day, literally the next day, Moses is walking again out in the middle of the 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 workers and he sees two Israelites fighting amongst each other. And Moses jumps to action and he he breaks up the fight and he says, What are you doing? Stop it. We gotta stop all this. And the Israelites turned to Moses and they say, what are you gonna do to us? You're not even one of us. You're a privileged Egyptian royal adopted son. Are you gonna kill us the same way you killed that Egyptian yesterday? (gasps) And Moses realizes it wasn't a secret. People knew and he fled from that point into the wilderness and he lived there for years, decades with just the replaying story in his mind of what does it look like for someone to make a difference? And then he meets God. And I wanna come right back to this and tell us this, God's presence makes all the difference. So he meets God at the burning bush and he humbles himself before God, his body language it preceded the presence of God, and then now an old man doesn't have his own physical strength, but he's got the power of God. I wanna say this clearly to you, okay, listen. We have got to recognize that God wants to make changes in our earth, but he does not wanna use your strength, he wants to use his strength through you. And so Moses gets up at this burning bush moment and he knows what it is to go into Egypt. I've seen the atrocities that you speak about God. I experienced it myself years ago and I tried to make a difference and all I was left with was blood on my hands and shame in my heart and murder on my life. And God tells him something. He tells him that he's gonna be the one that goes with him and that's gonna be the thing that makes the difference. And I wanna tell you the same. Because we live in a crazy world where there is a lot of things that need to be changed, but I want you to know that no way, shape, or form can we change anything if we're just gripping our hands and, and swinging at the air and using all of our energy and all of our frustration. But Christian, we have a better way. We have a higher way. If you really think about it, and you look at the life of Moses, he freed one Egyptian slave in his own strength, And when he decides to operate in the power of God, he freed three million Egyptian slaves. This is the difference that presence can make. And it's what's on offer to you and to me. Think about it, Moses comes back in, you know the story, you've heard it. You don't even have to be a Christian to have heard this story. He walks into Pharaoh's throne room after meeting God and God assures him, I'm gonna go with you He goes into Pharaoh's throne room and says, I've met with the living God. He says to let his people go, and he meant business. Pharaoh laughs at him, says, yeah, right, I am a living God, and I'm sure I'm stronger than your God. No way. And so Moses goes back to God. God says, I'm gonna do 10 miracles, but Pharaoh's not gonna call them miracles. He's gonna call them plagues, and uses these powerful plagues to free his people The 10th plague happens, and on the way out, the Egyptians are trying to get the people out of there, all these slaves that are cursed, and they start literally emptying their pockets and giving them the riches of Egypt as they go. Think about this. They were all of a sudden given free gold, gems, all kinds of value as they go into the wilderness, Days later, Pharaoh changes his mind, sends his army out to get Moses. Moses and God's people are up against the Red Sea. God tells Moses to lift up his staff. He splits and builds a highway through the Red Sea. God's people walk through it, turn around on the other side and watch the entire Egyptian army get demolished in a moment. God's presence made all the difference. They open up the rest of their history walking in the wilderness and every single day God feeds them in the morning with bread from heaven, we know it is manna. The Bible records that at night God would protect them with a pillar of fire, his presence, and he would lead them in a pillar of cloud by day. God provided quail for them, he, he didn't let their shoes, their natural resources never ran out while they were there and ultimately Moses gets to the end of this journey He gets all the way, check this out, all the way back to the mountain where God had met him before in that burning bush. And God tells him he's about to lead the people again into that promised land that he'd been promising them. They were gonna get to live in houses they didn't build. They were gonna get to eat grapes from vineyards that they didn't grow. They were gonna get all of this that they did not deserve. And Moses literally comes to a pause and he says, wait, 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 that all sounds great, but I have learned in my life that there's one thing that matters more than anything. I don't care about your presence, E-N-T-S, presence. I just want your presence, E-N-C. I wanna show it to you. It's right here in the text in Exodus chapter 33. Look what it says. End of his life, Moses and God are talking and, and the Lord says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Just a side note, when you go back and you look at the original language in Hebrew, this word right here is about as close as you can get to the word face. The face of God, Jesus. It's a beautiful shadow in the Old Testament that I will go with you and I will give you rest. Another little side note, how many of us are looking for rest and we just want peace in the earth? Well, God says peace comes not when your problems get less, but when my presence gets more. He said it right there. Rest, shalom, shalom is tied to the presence of God, you and I need it. And then he goes further and he says, and, and he says to him, if your presence will not go with me, Moses responds, do not bring us up from here. Like I've learned, I don't want your gifts, I want you. If you don't go with us, I don't, I'm, we don't have anything. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? Favor in the sight of God isn't when you get stuff, it's when you get God. <laughs> That's what a favored person is. It's not when you've got money in the bank, it's when you have God in your life. Favor in your sight, I and your people. Is it not in your going with us, God, so that we are distinct? This is the thing that sets us apart, not our bank accounts, not our pedigree, not our education, not the letters before or after our name in a professional context. It's God being with us that makes us distinct. I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. So here's the deal. You and I were intended to dwell in the presence of God. Our posture precedes his presence and listen, When it comes right down to it, presence is the thing that's gonna make all the difference. So the only question is, will we allow this message of truth to transition and activate it into our lives? Many of us have gotta make a decision right here. Not next week, not not after the election. We've gotta make a decision right here, right now. A decision that we're not gonna change our world by gripping our hands and gritting our teeth and using our own strength going to change our world when we humble ourselves in the presence of God. We take off our shoes and we hear the voice of God redefining everything that we do. We say, God, I don't want to do this in my own strength. I've tried that. It doesn't work. I understand if I'm going to make a difference in my life, in my family, in this community, it's gonna be when I take a posture of humility and that this is where real power flows from the Christian life. Right here. I told you at the beginning of the message that we would answer the question, how does the life marked by the presence of God look? Take a mental picture, because this is it. And I wanna be a husband that's marked want to be a dad that when my kids look at me, they know that dad's not just a pastor on paper, but he's a real pastor who, who is a real Christ follower who, who can't do it in his own strength because in my own strength, I'm just broken. But, but God is the one that I've humbled myself and I bow my knee. You know what people want right now, church? This is in the world. Everybody wants the kingdom, the beautiful world. They want the kingdom of God, but they want the kingdom of God without the king. And I'm just telling you, you can't get the kingdom of God in the earth if you don't bow your knee to the King Jesus. And this is the posture that our world needs to see. This is the posture that your city needs to see. This is the posture that South Carolina needs to see. And this is what will make a difference in the years to come. It's not who gets voted in in the White House. It's not what happens in your schoolhouse. It's not even what's gonna happen in this church house. It's what's gonna happen in the house of God, the temple he's building in our hearts where we've invited him in and said, Lord, we want your presence here. This is where it begins. The New Testament says that God opposes the proud, think about Pharaoh, but he gives grace to the humble. Think about Moses, and he wants to extend grace to you today, but you've gotta respond with your body language to the voice of God, crying out yet again, saying, turn, look over here, respond to my voice, take a body language, a humble posture, And trust that I'm going to pour myself out. I'm going to tell you your name. I'm gonna tell you your purpose in the earth and I'm gonna go with you so that everybody knows that you're not doing it in your own strength, you're doing it in the strength of God. And that is what we need more of in our earth today. We don't need more politicians, no disrespect to politicians. We need more prophets, more men and women speaking the life-giving words of Jesus who have taken a humble posture, but stand up in the confidence of God and for the rest of their days, activate his power in their families, in their schools, in their jobs, in the earth. New Spring Church, you get to make the decision. So as we step into an invitation time, really simple invitation today, will you take off your shoes? Would you change your posture? If you're in one of our facilities, you can do it right where you are. You can take off your shoes and you can change your posture. You can turn around and use your chair as a altar. If you're at the house watching, Maybe you don't even have shoes on. Well, you can get up off the couch, sir, and change your posture for a minute. I just want everybody to catch an image and a picture of what it might look like for a dad to stand up and show his kids how to take a posture of humility. I want everybody to catch an image of what it might look like for a spouse to respond to this message and to get up in front of their husband or their wife and take a posture of humility. What could it look like today for a 13-year-old son to get up and say, you know what? I just want the presence of God. I wanna be used by God. I don't wanna use my own strength. I'm gonna make a difference in my life and in my city and I'm gonna lead my family. So whatever it might look like for you, I'm gonna pray for us and I'm gonna invite you to take off your shoes and respond accordingly as we create just a little bit of space for the Lord to speak to us. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that as we read your word, it reads us. We thank you, God, that you don't use professionals. You don't use perfect people. You use imperfect and broken people who posture themselves in your presence in humility. And so, Father God, I pray right now that as these holy moments happen, that we would feel your power flow back into our lives. Affirm and bring into focus what our, what our life is really about, what our school year could be about, what our college years could be about, what our dating lives could be about, what our marriages and our grandkids and our legacies could really be about. And that God, you would use this moment to bring about a shift in our church, in the 14 cities that New Spring Church has a home, And Lord, I pray for a shift in the state of South Carolina that we wouldn't just want the kingdom of God, but we would want the King, King Jesus right here in our lives, ruling and reigning. Would you do it now in Christ's name everywhere, we pray. Amen.